In other words, it's just as God said according to God's will. And, and I want to point out that the text says that Pharaoh let the people go. But I want to assure you that he had no choice in that. Uh, he was compelled to let the people go. He was defeated. He had to let the people go. It wasn't his choice. Let me continue verse 17. God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So this second part of verse 17 is a beautiful picture of God guiding and protecting his people and even anticipating his need or their need of fears. In other words, the people weren't wandering around aimlessly. They were being led. They were being led by the living God and they were being protected. They were being protected by the shepherd. Isaiah 40.11 says, He will feed his flock like the shepherd. He will gather his lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with God. God in his goodness guides and protects the people who needs his people. For example, now back to verse 17, to go by way of the Philistines or by way of the land of the Philistines would be the shortest most direct route uh, to the land of Canaan, the promised land. If you picture the map in your head, there, there's Egypt over here, there's the Mediterranean Sea, and then there's the promised land. So the shortest route would just been to go straight across. However, uh, historians tell us that the first part of this route would certainly have been guided by Egyptian forts and checkpoints. And the second part of the route would be right into the Philistine limits, uh, or the Canaanite people. And they were a significant military threat at the time. And this group of what were essentially refugees uh, were in no way uh, prepared for war. And I want to point out that uh, back in uh, chapter 12, of verse, 50, verse 51 of chapter 12, that a large number of people who were referred to as army uh, in some Bible versions. The Bible is the post. And in our passage today, verse 18 of some translations state that they went up to Egypt uh, out, of, uh, out of Egypt armed for battle, or ready for battle, or equipped for battle. And I point this out because it doesn't seem to capture the reality of the situation. Because why would the Lord lead them out of Egypt by great wonders and signs? And then, as verse 17 clearly states, lead them away from the Philistines to avoid war, lest they change their minds and return to Egypt. And then, in verse 18, states that they were armed for battle. The King James and the New King James parents uh, seem to have used, uh, in my opinion, the correct terminology in stating that the people moved up in order to life. I think that's the sense at the time that is uh, going on here. In order to break. In other words, again, they weren't clinging to their lives. Uh, the exodus was worldly, it was deliberate, and it was controlled. God was in complete charge of the whole situation. So the Lord anticipated the potential for hostility or danger uh, along the march, 
they anticipated a potential response from the people who were leading, and he led them in a different direction. Verse 18, But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle, and were in the ranks. Now, having been in an Egyptian official for 40 years, Moses uh, almost certainly knew of the shorter route uh, to the promised land across the Sinai Peninsula. He also most likely knew of the dangers along this route. And he had also just experienced the miraculous deliverance of his people by the mighty hand of God, and was certainly have expected that God would protect him. But God chose to meet him. And I'm sure many of us can share testimonies of God leading us in a different way. Uh, a different way in which we had hoped, a different way in which we had planned, or even expected. But we may not have known it at the time, uh, but we can look back in hindsight at the past we took instead of the past we could have taken, uh, were it not for the Lord. Amen? And how many of us can look back at a time when our plans didn't exactly go the way we wanted them to go? But now, we're glad for them. Uh, newsflash, you know, God knows what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> and the ultimate path, the ultimate path, for many of us, the most unlikely path, it is that the Lord chose for us, it was the way of salvation. I know for me, I look back at who I was 25 plus years ago, and the last thing on my mind was the things of God, you know, salvation, eternity. It was the last thing on my mind. But God caught hold of me, and He opened my eyes, He softened my heart, and He called me to faith and repentance. And, and, and the next to last thing that was on my mind at the time was when I met Ellen. Um, and God put Ellen in my path. Uh, we met, we fell in love, and we got married. And I certainly wasn't thinking about that at the time either. But God had to go down this different path. And of course, uh, as um, you all know, a few years ago, God called me to be a pastor. And again, you know, five, six years ago, that certainly was not on my radar. God, and I know uh, many of you probably all of you share a testimony to that effect that God leading you in a different path. And now you're glad for it. And then maybe your path might change today. Uh, maybe God is calling you to faith and repentance in his Christ. And maybe you're new here. Maybe you're new and you're exploring what this Christianity is all about. Uh, maybe you've been coming to church here for years, uh, yet you don't have a stable relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. But I don't know if all of you personally. Uh, no. And if that's the case, God has a different path for you. Even now, even today, it is called the path of salvation uh, through His Son Jesus Christ, where He adopts you as His child, where He leads you, where He protects you. It gives you a new hope, a new hope of eternity with him. I want you to know that God desires all people to be saved. 
Remember, uh, this is roughly a thousand years later uh, when you read the Elias. 
rejected it as remembered by the people as a confession and as an act of worship. And I'm not going to read that passage. But the confession goes on. And even after the people harden their hearts, we're quoting the scripture here, and did not heed God's commandments, God was, quote, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and God did not forsake them. So God is good. Even when we rebel against him, even when we ignore him, even when we forget him, even when we despise him, Fortunately, they hang on a cross. God's still good. And why wouldn't we share that goodness of God with our children? Why wouldn't we share this, this goodness of God with our families? Why wouldn't we share that with our neighbors or anyone uh, who we meet uh, uh, in the community? In verse 21, passage, we first learn of the Shekinah Lord, the Shekinah of the Lord. Shekinah is the Hebrew term for the presence or the dwelling of the Lord on this earth. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of clouds and leave them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. So we can surmise from this account that no matter where we are, and no matter where we're going, the Lord is going before us, leading the way. And not only is, again, not only is God with us, God goes before us. And we can and we should take great comfort in that fact. For the Israelites, the presence of the Lord manifested itself dramatically in the pillar of fire. Moses asked God to 
show him his glory. And while Moses couldn't, couldn't literally see our God without perishing, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now think about that. Of all the things that God could have showed Moses, he showed him his goodness. That's what God was that's the pathway all the way by showing his goodness. And finally, in verse 22 of this passage, it says that he did not take away the hell of fire. It was a hell of fire by night from the world of people. God in his goodness, not only delivered his children to the bond, he was also with them. He was leading them every step of the way in the fulfillment of his promise, in the fulfillment of his covenant with his people. He was with them visibly through the pillar of God by day, in the pillar of fire by night, and he did not take them away. And friends, I want to leave you here today with a reminder that God is good. Today's passage describes God's goodness uh, to the Israelites, through his guidance, through his protection, and through the continuance of his covenant of promise. So if someone from his church was diagnosed with cancer, and then prayed and was healed, we were all proclaiming the goodness of God, right? And then it would be good to do so. It would be right to do so. But if someone from his church was diagnosed with cancer, and then died soon after, well, you know what? God is still good. It doesn't change his goodness. Of course, we would be sad and we would grieve. But God is still good. God is always good. We're all familiar with the verse that says, Oh, taste and see the Lord is, see how the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Praise God. God is the highest and greatest good. Because God is the highest and greatest good, every good thing is the result of his goodness. Now, you probably experienced God's goodness today on your way to the church. We have the, uh, the foliage, which is beginning to bloom out here. We have the, the crisp fall air, and it's part of God's goodness. Um, it's part of the goodness of you enjoying God's creation. Ellen and I are still blown away by every time we go outside we see mountains. I saw a cookie and a the other day. I've only seen one of those ones. But anyway, Psalm 33 5 says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Amen? And the Lord's goodness extends to all people, not just to faith. The Lord is good to all. And his mercies are over all his works. Uh, we, we call that common grace. And that's what Psalm 145 9. And, we, and when we say that God is good, sometimes I wonder, uh, it's kind of understood. I mean, especially compared to the way we use the term good. So we describe everything from movies to food to drink to our children as being good, right? Psalm 119.68 says of God, You are good 
Thank you. 